on now. We, we can praise the Lord a little better than that. He said, no more shackles, no more chains. We're bound in sin, but not any longer. By his precious blood, he made us free. Talking about freedom. Amen. So again, as Eliezer said, I'd just like to thank all the youth that were able to come. This month was a little kind of crazy because every other week someone was on vacation. And so, well, we got it all together and we got it all done. Amen. Again, I'd like to thank you for coming. And if you would, turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 12. It's a familiar passage of scripture. It is the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 12. Amen. You get there, say amen. Amen. And it says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, not against each other, not against these bodies here, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Just want to talk to you a little bit and to the youth and tell them some things that we are at war. It's Tyler's message that we are at war. So you put your Bibles down and lift your hands and ask that God will give you understanding, will give a spirit of revelation to fall upon you, and knowledge of the Lord will be revealed unto you. Oh, Lord Jesus, we lift our hands and we bow our heads unto you, almighty God, and we seek you. We ask you to speak through me, oh, Lord, that your spirit will speak through me, not my, any of my own words. I ask the spirit of revelation to be in this house, in your own temple, and that knowledge, wisdom, and understanding be received, almighty God, and then we go out and do it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as I was preparing for this message, and the Lord dropped this in my spirit about we are at war, and I'm like, Lord, this is kind of some strong meat here. <laughs> this is uh, not, not too much about milk. But you'll see that I kind of changed it a little bit as to not be as strong as it could have been, but to still get what needs to be gotten across. Amen. So, young people, I'm talking to you. As I said in this morning's class, because you are the future of this church. Not just this church here, but the body of Christ. And as the Bible says, that if you have children, it's like arrows in your quiver. The man that has them, blessed is he. And what you do with the arrow, you take it out that bow and you shoot it. And eventually you too, when you get older and grow up, you're going to go different places. You may stay here in this church. You may go somewhere else. You may go to a different country or even a different state. But one thing you must keep in mind is the Lord. You must know that there is one God, as I talked about this morning, and that his name is Jesus. It is critical. It is important that that never changes in your mind, that that thing you've made up in your mind, that you know who God is, that his name is Jesus, that he is Lord, that he died and rose from the grave and resurrected, that can never leave you. Because as we'll talk about and find out, there's going to be some spirits, there's going to be some things coming against that that are trying to trip you up. And so you must know and keep in mind like I said, there is one Lord, and his name is Jesus. And you also need to know that he died for you. Now, I just went over, he, he, that he died for you. He died for all of us. He gave his own life. We get a little cut, and we're crying, and we, we try to put some alcohol in, and it burns us and everything like that, and it hurts so bad, but he gave his own life. He gave his entire self for us. You can never forget that. When you're in a moment you feel depressed or feel a little sad, just remember, there is someone that loves me. He loves me unconditionally. He gave his own life for me. And that will help you in those times. It will soothe your soul. Amen. So you must know that there's one Lord and that he died for you. And then you have to know that this relationship, this new covenant that God has, is open to everyone. 
is open to everybody, every nation, every tongue, every language, every continent, every country can come. As Peter said on, on the day of Pentecost and was fully come, in Acts 2, 38, verse 39, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is unto you and unto your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now I'll give you some wisdom. When you're going out in this world and you get older and you may move on and move out of the house and everything, don't look down on people if you see them in sin. Because as I said, this promise is unto everyone. It's unto everybody in any condition. They can be transformed by the presence of God, by his spirit and by his blood, just as we were. I'll give a little bit of my testimony This in this moment here. I didn't grow up in church at all. I didn't know anything about the church. I remember one time, um, my, my step family, they're, they're Catholics. Well, my step grandma is Catholic. And she goes to uh, church to masses on midnight and around Christmas time and Easter. And so my stepdad said, do you want to go for grandmother to church? I said, I'd rather watch paint dry on the wall than go to church. I don't want to go in there. I don't want to do that. That's a waste of my time. That's, that's some foolishness to me. But then the Lord even used that time to speak to my stepdad once I came to the church. Once God gave me the revelation of the oneness of God, that there's one God. Once the Lord gave me revelation that my sins had to be remitted and that I had to get baptized in Jesus' name. And then I had to live a holy life after that. And then I started coming to church. The first service I came, it, was, it, was, it may be funny when I say it, but the title of the message that pastor preached is, What Are You Doing Here? My first time in a, in a, in a church, my first time in a Pentecostal church, What Are You Doing Here? is what's preached. And so I'm like, well, I'm here to repent. <laughs> and so in the altar service, I came and I repented. Then the evening service, I received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then, amen. <clears throat> amen. Then the Lord began to work on me. And then my stepdad said, whoa, what are you doing in church and this and that? And I, I told him, I testified to him. I said, hey, remember that time I told you I'd rather watch paint dry on the wall? Can't, can't this has to be from God. This, this change in me, it has to be the Lord. Because I told you, I told you all these other things. I did not want to go. This is foolishness and nonsense. And now I'm passionate. Now I'm very desirous of the Lord. And so God even used that to talk to my stepfather. But once you have that transformation, and once you have been born again of the water and of the spirit, and you're living a holy life, then there's another thing you must do. It doesn't just stop there. It doesn't just stop there. Basically, you are reborn. You're like a, you're like a child again, and you need to learn how to walk, and you need to learn how to talk, and you need to learn how to, how to think, and you need to learn how to move, and what to do and what not to do. You got to learn all over again, but now it's not physical. It's spiritual things. That's a problem Nicodemus had. He said, how can a man be born again? I'm, I'm, I'm an old man. I can't, I can't be reborn into my mom. Like, she's, she's too old. It's not going to happen. I'm already, I've already been born and grown. But God said, hey, I'm talking about something spiritual. It's not physical. And so with that, your call is to be like him. It's to be Christ-like. That's what the definition of Christian even means, to be Christ-like. There's people out here in this world, they're mimicking all kinds of things. They're mimicking sports athletes, they're mimicking musicians, they're mimicking rappers and this and that. They're mimicking all kinds of things. They're mimicking beauty queens, they're mimicking all host of things. But to be a Christian is to be Christ-like. So I, now I walk like Christ. Now I talk like Christ. Now I need to think like Christ, put on the mind of Christ. I need to do the things Christ would do. And that's what we all are to do, not just the youth here, to be Christ-like. 
<coughs> and then I want to talk about this as well, that you're not weak because you're a youth. There's a verse that says that Paul was talking to Timothy. He said, don't despise your youth. Don't despise it. Don't, don't look at it like it's a little thing. Or I'm just young. There's even said that the apostles, the disciples, when they were young, they were only about 13 years old. They were very young. They were in their 20s and 30s. There were some young men. But one thing, they believed. And they moved forward. And they walked by faith and not by sight. And then as it says right here in John chapter 14, verse 12, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And he even, go, he even went further. He said, and greater works than these shall you do, because I go unto my Father. So what did Jesus do? He raised Lazarus from the dead. He let blind eyes were open. People that were deaf, were, their ears popped open and they could hear again. The lame were in beds, and they, they couldn't walk for many years. They got up and started walking by the power of God, by the power of his name. We're going to talk about that as well. But you are not weak just because you're young or you may think you're a youth. You have power with God. Your prayers can touch the throne of God and can move his spirit. So don't despise your youth and say, oh, I can't do anything. I'm just little old me. Well, that's good, little old you. Then look at God and say, oh, you're so big, oh, God. You can do everything. You can fill my lack. You can fill the gap that I have. Amen. But another thing you have to know and keep in mind is that there is an enemy. It seems like in this earth there's always two sides to everything. Uh, two sides to a coin, so to speak. There's two teams when they play. So there is an enemy, and there is a devil out there. And he wants to hinder you. He wants to stop your pursuit that you have toward God. And he'll do anything he can to trip you up. He'll even use your family sometimes. Look at Job. He used his wife. Job lost everything, but, but Job lost everything. He said, nonetheless, bless the Lord. He said, bless the Lord. I'm not going to curse God. And his wife said, why don't you curse God, Job? Come on, come on. Why don't you curse God? Why, why don't you trip up in your relationship with him? He said, oh, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. My mind's made up. I'm going to keep going forward. So the devil will use all kind of things. But I want to tell you about this, is that you have power over the devil. When the Lord Jesus died and resurrected, he didn't just, it was, it's not just an Easter Sunday type thing. Woo, we got Easter and this and that. No, a lot of things happened on that day. One, we got salvation on that day from his blood. Also, we have power over the devil because the devil's power that he had was death. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he overcame that power completely. So now the devil, he doesn't have any power anymore. Not that he had much anyway, but now he surely doesn't have any. And even Jesus talks about it. He says in Luke 10, 18, and he said unto them, he's talking to his disciples again. He said, I behold Satan fall as lightning. Now, some people are afraid of the devil. Whoo, the devil, I mean, there's some power, there's darkness. It looks kind of evil and everything, but hey, God has greater power. Don't, don't, don't be staring at that darkness too long. Go toward, turn towards the light. But Jesus said, hey, I behold Satan fall as lightning. The, devil's, the devil felt like lightning. That was nothing. Then he says, behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions. Now, does anyone know about that serpent in the Garden of Eden? There you go. You get some revelation there, some understanding. And over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, in the other verses that talk about this, after this, his disciples, basically, they came to Jesus, and they said, oh, the, we cast out devils in your name. And he said, okay, I beheld Satan fall as lightning. Don't get too lifted up in pride and everything. Yeah, you have power over the devil, but that's not why you should rejoice. You should rejoice because your name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Because now you have transferred kingdoms, and now you can have peace. 
You can have understanding, and yes, I've given you this power as well. So it's not to get lifted up about, it's just that's what God gave us. He gave us power so we wouldn't have to deal with the devil. And so if you are dealing with the devil, just take that authority, take that power. It's nothing pride or anything or arrogance. That's just what God gave us. Amen. But also, there, there's some more opposition. It's not just the devil. It is also the world. And it says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, he says, love not the world. He says, love not the world. Now I'm getting a little emotional because there's too many people out here that are loving the world. There's too much youth in this nation, in this country that are loving the world. And not even that, they're losing their lives because they're loving the world at a young age for no reason. No reason. Oh, God forbid that would happen here. Love not the world. Don't love it. He even goes further. Neither the things that are in the world. Don't love how the world is set up, the system, and how you can get rewarded and this and that. Don't even love the things that are in the world. Got too many people loving cars and loving money, loving their job, loving what they can get from the world. God said, hey, leave, leave all that alone. He says even this, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's, that's two separate things. God's not about gaining, gaining all these types of things and getting lifted up in pride and, and lusting after things and coveting things. Uh, God's spirit is way different. And he says, for all that is in the world, now he gives us a little lesson here. This is what's in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He says it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And he says in verse 17, and the world passeth away. Well, I told about this morning, I was teaching, I was like, everything in this world is going to pass away. Everything is going to pass away. There's going to be one day, we might rejoice in this, that you're not going to have to go to a job anymore. <laughs> you're not going to have to go to work anymore. You're not going to have to pay taxes anymore because this whole world is going away. But also, there's not going to be any more entertainment. There's not going to be any more distractions. There's not going to be any, any of this, this foolishness that's going on in this world because it's all going to end. And so he says, all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh. Now, I was, I'll tell you, young people, that you're in this body. This, this body right here. You're not this body. You're a living soul. God made man. He breathed the breath of life, and he became a living soul. But we're in these bodies right here. And this body, this flesh, it, it wants to do things that are contrary to the will of God. Sometimes you want to pray, and your body's like, well, I'm hungry right now. And you're like, God, God's want me to pray. Well, I'm tired right now. Or I got all this stuff to do right now. Or the flesh, someone will may say something, and you get all angry, and you may even get bitter. That's just the flesh. That's not you. And I even say this, as Paul said, we're not debtors to the flesh anymore. We don't have to obey that flesh anymore. And this is a very, very heavy matter, very internal matter. We're not debtors to the flesh anymore. Your flesh may say, I'm hungry. No, I'm not going to eat right now. I'm going to pray, maybe for five minutes, and then I'm going to go eat. And then you start subduing that flesh. Your flesh says, oh, I want to get mad at this person. No, that's not Christ-like. I should love this person. I should love my enemies. I should bless them that, that use me and things, and things like that. So, but you're in this flesh, young people, and you, got, you, ha you have to. There's nothing your parents can try to train you and teach you how, but event you have to do it because it's your flesh. It's, it's, it's Brother Eleazar's body. It's his body. It's not my body. I can't, I can't lift up his hand somehow by just looking at him. Like, no, he's in his body. He can lift his hand up if he wants to and vice versa. So eventually you have to conquer your own flesh. Because if not, it will be in control. And that's why you got people out here, they're, they're drunk, they're on drugs and everything, because that flesh is in control. They just want more and more and more and more and more. And their flesh is like, give me more. And they're like, all right, I'm just obeying the flesh. Give me more. I got to get it. 
I got to steal and get it or whatever I need to do. So you can't let your flesh get in control. But that's what's in the world. But also what's in the world is the lust of the eyes. Now this is a big one. Because we got these two big old eyes right here. And, and these bodies got made for us. And they can see. But also when you look at something, it can, it can, a thought can go in your mind, for example. So I'll give you an example. When you look at like a salad, for example, you probably think of, oh, okay, healthy, you know, things like that. Yeah, healthy living, exercise, stuff like that. But then you look at other things and it can speak other things to you. When you look at certain pictures or certain videos or you go on certain websites, things like this, again, things can start talking to you, for example. Like when I go into the mall, bro, trying, and I go past this one store um, and it's something secret, I'm not going to say the rest. I have to look the other side. I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, help me today, Lord. It's very serious. I'm not, I'm not trying to stumble. I'm not trying to slip up. I'll say another story. There's this one girl in Bible college. Every time something like that would happen, she would say, Jesus, build a fence. Jesus, build a fence. Jesus, build a fence. But these eyes can see things, but also they can cover things. So I can see someone driving down a big old fancy car, and all of a sudden I want to have a big old fancy car. And now, now, now I'm going to go, I'm going to try to work two jobs or something to get the money so I can get this big old fancy car. Or I may even go and steal this car so I can get this big old fancy car. It's the lust of the eyes out there. And that's all this world is about. I should have looked up the statistic of how many advertisements we see a day, but it's a whole lot. And it's just the lust of the eyes. Come here, have this. Have this. Have this. Have this. Have this. Come here, spend your money over here. Spend your money over here. Oh, this will help you. This will help you. Oh, there's one thing that will help you. And his name is Jesus. And then there's also another thing that'll help you. And we'll talk about is this book right here. It's to help you relieve a whole lot of stress, a whole lot of pain, a whole lot of anxiety, a whole lot of worry. This book is, is spirit and life because it's the word of God. But also in this world is the pride of life. And you may see it on some people. They may be a CEO or something or in a high position. They think they're a big shot. They walk into the store, they're like, oh, yes, you must do everything I say. I've waited two minutes, and this is, this is, no, this is not good, wasting my time here. And all they did was order coffee, and the lady's just about to finish it, and they're just getting all upset. It's the pride of life. They get all lifted up. Even people who get accomplishments, they get all lifted up. Oh, look what I did. Look what I accomplished. Look at all these glorious things that I did. Oh, look at this. Look at that. Well, let me remind you of the Tower of Babel. The man of this earth, they said, let's make a tower that we can reach unto the Lord. And the Lord had to come down and smite that tower. He destroyed that tower, and he had to spread them out. Pride will not stand in the presence of God. It will not. It's impossible. That was, you could say, Satan's main fall. He, he rose up with pride and then wanted to be another God. And God said, oh, no, can't have this. So I'm going to fall you down like lightning, get my people power over you, and then they're going to throw you in a pit when it's all over. And that's going to be the end for you. Amen. But I'll give you another example. So in 2 Timothy 4.10, as Paul is preaching and Paul is going to different cities and he's planting churches and starting churches and, and he's working with people trying to put ministers in each of these cities and churches. And he writes to Timothy, he says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Christians to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. So this man Demas, was he was a minister. He was working with Paul. He, he was working, doing the work. But then he got caught up in the world. He started looking at the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And then he, he loved the present world. And he left the work of God. Let that never happen to you, young people. I'm telling you, you will be tempted. S things will come to you to try to steer you away, try to pull you away. But you have to say, 
like I said before, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I'll say this again as well. You are overcomers. You do not have to bow down. You don't have to give in. The problem is it's easy to give in. It doesn't take any effort. You just fall over and give in. And then you deal with whatever happens. But God's saying, hey, you need to stand. And when you have all you've done to stand, stand, therefore. We're going to talk about the armor of God as well. But you got to stand. You have to stand because if not, then, like I said, it's going to give in and fall over. It's going to fall over to the ground. Nonetheless, the Lord has mercy. He can lift you back up. He has forgiveness. You can cry out unto him. But now we're going to talk a little bit about the flesh and the spirit of God, how they're, they're fighting against each other. So in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, it says this. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if you're walking in the things of God, I'm trying to think on good things, things that are good, things that are of good report, things that are lovely, things that are true, this and that, that's as a verse there talking about things you need to think upon. You're walking in the things of the Lord. Oh, I'm, I'm praying every day. I'm reading my Bible every day. I'm reaching out to souls. I'm trying to understand more of the word of God. I'm trying to, to do right. When things come against me in temptations, I rise above them, and I cut them off. I say, no, I'm not doing that. No, I'm not doing that. I don't care how many people around me are doing that. I'm not going to do it. You're walking in the spirit. You're not in the flesh. You're fighting that flesh. Because it says this in verse 17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit. So there's this, there's this battle right here going on in all of us every day. Flesh or the spirit of God? The flesh or the spirit of God? And the spirit against the flesh, and, and these are contrary, the one to another, to another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. And even Apostle Paul had to deal with this. He said, there's things I want to do, but I can't do them because, you know, my flesh gets up and then, ah, it, it, it slips away and then I can't do it. So, uh, like, he's like, I'm trying, I'm trying to do it, but this flesh right here, it draws me away sometimes. So, like I said, I don't know why, in prayer, you need to tarry in prayer, like we talked about, as Brother Brown was teaching, you got to tarry in prayer. Because this flesh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, as Jesus said. This flesh is also weak, it's very weak. We pray a little 10 minutes, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I need to do something else. <laughs> I need to go eat, I need to do something, but no, stay in the presence of God. Because that's where you get changed. That's where you get transformed. That's when you can really conquer that flesh. And then you can walk in the spirit. Because then the next time the flesh comes, it's going to be like, hey, I want to do this. You're going to be like, no, we already talked about that. We're not doing that. And it comes up again, we're going to do this. And you can just dismiss it like, nope, nope, it's not happening. You, you, you might as well just stop trying because I'm not going to give in. And you get stronger. You get stronger. As it says, building up your most holy faith. Your inner man now is stronger. Your inside man, your spiritual man or woman. Amen. And then, now we're going to talk about the flesh a little bit, and this is what the flesh likes to do. In Galatians 5.19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. So these are the works of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of which I tell thee before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, why is that? Is it because the flesh and the spirit are two, they're on separate um, poles, they're opposites. You're either going to do one or the other. But as Paul said, I'm, I'm trying to apprehend what has apprehended me. 
I may have slipped up, but I'm going to keep going. I'm going to reach for God. I'm going to keep reaching. I'm going to keep reaching in prayer. I'm going to keep reaching in word and reading the word of God. I'm going to keep reaching and studying. I'm going to keep reaching when I come to church, when I come to Sunday night, Sunday morning, when I come to Wednesday, every chance I can get. Because I'm trying to get to that heavenly place, that holy place. Like I said, this earth's going to pass away, but there is a place. He's preparing it right now. He said, if I wasn't preparing it, I wouldn't have told you. I'm preparing this place for you. And we all have that blessing. We all have an opportunity to have that. But the way you walk on that straight and narrow way, which leads into the straight gate, is through the spirit. Because this flesh, it cannot go. Now we're going to talk about the fruit of the spirit in Galatians chapter 5.22. So this is what the spirit of God wants to do all the time. This is the nature, you can say, of the spirit of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love. Does anyone know that God is love? As is even written in the word, it says, God is love. He said, this is how they'll know you're my disciples, your love towards one another. That's how they will, that's how they will know. That will be the fruit that they will see. So there's love, joy. Now, there's another thing I'm going to tell everyone. We ask for strength. We said, Lord, give me strength. Lord, give me strength. Don't you know in the word of God it says the joy of the Lord is our strength? So really, you're asking for the joy of the Lord. Say, God, give me the joy. Give me some joy of the Lord so I can have strength to overcome this. That's what strength is. Then he says, peace. He's the prince of peace. Long-suffering. Now, this one is a little, a little harder because when people do us wrong, it's kind of hard to be long-suffering. We're very quick-suffering for one second, and then that's it. Now we're on tack mode. <laughs> like, you hurt me? Woo! You hurt my child? Oh, I got to jump over this pew and get you. But, but the Spirit of God is very long-suffering. You know why? Because he was long-suffering with us. He was extremely long-suffering. It took me 19 years to get into the church and to understand God. He was long-suffering year after year after year after all my foolishness. Year after year. And finally, he broke through and got a hold of me. So he's very long-suffering. And gentleness. Gentleness. You need to be gentle one toward another. Sometimes we have fun and everything, but we need to be gentle one toward another. Because especially new people that come in, because a lot of people are bruised and they're wounded and they're beaten. And they may, they may need, there may be one more thing and then they're going to snap and they're going to break. And we, as being Christ, I need that gentleness, that fruit of spirit needs to come out. And goodness and faith and meekness, temperance, against such, there is no law. This is why I said God's spirit does this all the time. There's no law against it. This, this is a, these are things that he wants to do in us all the time. And now, like I said, we need to be Christ-like. It says in Galatians 5.24, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. They have overcome. And another thing that God did when he died and resurrected and he's on this earth, he didn't sin, not one time. Not once. He was pure. His blood had to be pure to be a sacrifice for our sin. And with that, he conquered the flesh entirely. 100%. He conquered the, the thoughts of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, the lust of the He conquered it completely. 100%. When his parents, they went to Jerusalem and they left and they said, oh, where is he? Where's my boy? So they had to travel three days back to Jerusalem and find him. What's he doing? He's talking to the doctors of the law. He's talking to the Pharisees, and he, he's, he's, he's talking about the things of God. They said, hey, why'd you leave us? He said, I must be about my father's business. Don't you know? Don't you understand? I have to be about my father's business. I have to do the work of the Lord. He completely conquered the flesh for us. And if you have his spirit in you, then that same spirit that conquered this flesh can guide you and lead you into all truth and can help you, too, to conquer this flesh. Amen. And then finally he says, if we live in the spirit, 
Let us also walk in the spirit. Yeah, I was talking about. So when you get the Holy Ghost, it's not just for you to sit on the pew, come to church, pay your tithes. That's it's not at all. You miss the whole point entirely. It's to go out and reach. And you reach for the lost. Remain saved yourself, and then reach for the lost. And keep reaching. And keep being saved, and keep reaching. And also, lastly, I'll say this. is This is a little more stronger meat right here. But also out there, the opposition is the spirit of Antichrist. And it's already out here. As we're going to find out, as, as the Lord said, he already told it in 1 John chapter 4, verse 3. And he said, every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus is Christ, that Jesus is one God, that Jesus is his one Lord, both Lord and Christ, that has risen from the grave, and that he has come in the flesh is not of God. So any spirit that confesses that, that Jesus Christ is not God or did not come in the flesh, that's not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Whereby ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. And then this is when we have this pile of verse right here. Right after he says that, the spirit is in there that's against you, that's going to be opposed to you, you, youth, and us here. And then he says this immediately. He says, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. In 1 John 4, 4. And he says, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's where that, word, that verse comes from. God's revealing. He's saying, hey, there's a spirit out here against you, against you. A spirit in this society where it's do whatever you want to do. Stand for whatever you want to stand for, and we'll support you. But, oh, don't talk about Jesus now. We're going to crucify you. But even then, he said, don't, don't, they're not mad at you. They're mad at me. They're not crucifying you. They're crucifying me. And you're, 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 you're Christ-like, so you're like me, so they come against you. That's why that happens. Not because they don't like how you look or where you came from. That's not it. It's that spirit you have inside of you. They, they, they can't handle it. They want to rebel against it. They want to crucify like they crucified Jesus. They're saying, give me Barabbas. But what about Jesus? No, give me Barabbas. I want that murderer right there. I don't want the Holy One. I don't want the one that, want, that came to save me, that came and died for me and rose from the dead, that I might resurrect on this, off this earth and go to him with heaven. No, out there they want Barabbas. They want the murderer. And they want to kill the Savior. And so that spirit of Antichrist is out there. But like I said, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So I don't know about you. Sometimes I get down and I just say that verse. And I don't know why. Just power comes over me. I'm like, you know what? You are right. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Jesus is greater than this spirit out here. He's greater than this evil and wickedness that's going on. He's far greater than that. He even created them that are doing that. He created the heaven and the earth. He created everything. So, of course, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. But sometimes in the midst of everything, young people, we, we, we forget that. And I'll even say this. Well, as you get older and you start working and you start taking on more responsibility, you're not going to have a lot of time. I say that now. You're not going to have a lot of time. Especially if you're starting a family, you will not have a lot of time. And your time will be even more precious to you than it is now. But as you're now and young, study this word. Get in it day and night. Every day, every night, read the word. Pray because you have time. And it will prepare you, and you'll be better off when you get older. You'll be better to handle things. And so it says also in verse in 1 John chapter 4, verse 5, like I said, they are of the world, therefore speak they of the world. And the world heareth them. They're, they're in their kind. They're with their kind. But we are of God, and he that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And so there's these two different spirits here, the spirit of Antichrist and the spirit of God. But now I'd like to change it a little bit 
and we talked about the enemy and opposition, but now I'm going to talk about some tools that we have, some tools that the Lord gave us. Number one tool is the Spirit of God. In 1 John chapter 16, verse 13, it says, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, it's talking about the Holy Ghost, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. The Spirit of God will lead you and guide you. That's why Brother Brown is talking about praying in the Spirit. You need to get in that Spirit to get in the presence of God so we can start changing some things, start putting things in the right order, in the right place, taking things out, getting your focus right. But also, we have the armor of God. This is a, a highly talked about thing, but I'm going to speak about one part of it that we kind of, we don't really see too much. Or that it's not really talked about connection with the armor of God. So God gave us his armor. He said, my people are, they have all these enemies. They got all these, these adversaries. They got all this opposition. They, they, they're going to need some help. So he gave us his spirit and he gave us his armor. So he said, learn, he said, gird about your loins with truth. He said, take this word and gird yourself, surround yourself. Wrap yourself tight with it. Let it be strong upon you. Get a good hold of it. And he said he gave us a breastplate of righteousness, living right, doing right, having a clean conscience. Then he said have your feet shod with the preparation of gospel peace. Be ready to go out and help somebody. Be ready to go out and give the gospel to someone. As it says, we're ministers of reconciliation. We're taking people out of this kingdom of darkness, talking to them, praying that the Lord would touch them and speak to them, and now they're transferring into the kingdom of light. And then they, too, can be with us. And then they can go back and do the same. Then he said, have this shield of faith right here. Have this shield of faith. But they also don't, don't just have faith. You've got to have some works with your faith. You're going to have to use that shield. You're going to have works with your faith. Then he says, have the helmet of salvation, then the sword of the spirit, which is his word of God. And then most people, they stop right there. That's the, that's the, that's the armor of God. Well, then it goes on. It says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplications for all saints. That is part of the armor of God. It's not just all these pieces. It has to be put together on with prayer and supplication. And we are to do that in the spirit. And we got to watch for the perseverance and supplication for all saints. So that's everybody. You got to be praying for people around you, people in this congregation, people even in other areas that are believers that may be struggling. So he gave us his spirit, he gave us his armor, but also he gave us his name. And now I feel like we don't have understanding of his name. We kind of say it a whole lot, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But well, what does that name really mean? How do we even get that name? I'll start off with this. In the Old Testament, that name of Jesus wasn't revealed. Wasn't even revealed. There was a prophecy for the Messiah to come, but his name wasn't revealed. That name of Jesus. They just knew him as Jehovah, or they knew him as El Shaddai, or Jehovah Jireh. They knew him from different experiences, but that name of Jesus wasn't revealed. It was not revealed. But then, all of a sudden, this virgin, Mary, she had a child. And Joseph was like, whoa, he's about to marry this woman. He's like, oh, you have a child in you? Oh, no, this can't happen. I, I want a pure wife. I, I want a wife that's holy, that's upright, that, that's not right. So then God had to give him a dream and a vision. And he said, hey, the spirit of God moved in her, and she's having this child. And then the name was revealed. And his name shall be called Jesus. So Jehovah, it means it, it, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. So this God, this one God in the Old Testament that created the heavens and the earth in Genesis, revealed himself as Jehovah to the Jews and led them out of, out of Egypt, part of the Red Sea, got them out, had man fall from heaven, all these wonderful things. He came into the form of a man in a body. And he said, call me Jesus. This is my name. 
So inside that name of Jesus is the Lord God himself is in that name. So when you're saying that name of Jesus, it's not a, just a regular old name. It's not a name of religion that man has made up. It's the name of this one God who created the heavens and the earth. This is his name. He gave us this mighty name. Also, his resurrection power is in that name. That's why he, you, have to, you have to pray in Jesus' name. Not in my own name or just pray. No, you got to direct your prayer to this one God who has all authority and power, who is the king of all kings on this situation. So his resurrection power is in that name. And he revealed his mighty name unto us. His whole, his whole being is in that name. And he even says this in Proverbs 8, 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. And I've heard countless things of people, all they could say is Jesus in a situation, and something miraculous happened. Something completely miraculous. When I was in Bible college, you may not even believe this because it is, is so wonderful, so, so miraculous. These people, these, this, this one teacher and his wife, they were driving down the road, and they got kind of pinned, they got cornered, and a truck was coming. And they, they didn't have enough time to stop or to turn or to move. But all they could do was say the name of Jesus. And they said, Jesus! And literally their car moved up went o- the tr- over the truck and down safely. There was no accident. There was no crash. There was nothing. That's the power of the name. It's the power of the name. So when you call upon this name, it's not just, it's not just any kind of name. It's the name above all names. All his authorities in that name. All his powers in that name. Just think about that next time you say the name of Jesus or you pray. It, kinda, it changes things a little bit. You're like, okay, I got, there's some power behind this name. It's not just a name that I just attach to it and say whatever I want to say. No, there's something can happen and will. And even this, in the book of Acts, after Jesus ascended and he, he handed it over to his church, he said, all right, now you need to go out and do as I did, do greater works than I did. In Acts chapter 4, verse 18. So the apostles, they went out and they healed this man. Peter and, uh, and Paul, they were at the time of prayer. They went to the temple, and there's this man they brought every day, and he was lame. And he looked at them, and he said, look at me. And he said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. They picked him up by the hand, and what happened? Of course he got up and walked. He was completely healed. And so the Pharisees at that time, they got upset. They got a little mad. They're like, what? Did this miracle? We're not even doing any miracles. What's going on here? And so in Acts chapter 418, they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or or not even to teach in the name of Jesus. They said, stop using that name that has all power. Stop, stop calling upon that one God that rose from the dead. Stop, stop that. Stop that. Then you read on and then they couldn't. They said, is it, is it, do we rather obey man or God? You judge. And they obeyed God and kept doing wonderful things. But also, another thing, another tool the Lord gave us is knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Now, this is an area I feel like we kind of, now maybe lacking, but just don't have the understanding on how to get it, on how to really get it. And it's in the book of Proverbs. It says, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My son, if thou wilt receive my words, if you will receive these words right here, you will receive them, and hide my commandments with thee, hide them in your heart, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, and apply thy heart unto understanding. Now here it is. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seek her as silver, and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. So we have to cry out for it. 
day in and day out. You craft that knowledge, and next thing you know, you're going to start understanding stuff. You may be, I don't know, like, I've, I just, I've experienced this. I said, Lord, I don't know how to pray. I heard, when I first came to church, you talk about prayer. Oh, we need to pray. Yes, I understand. I see in the words pray, but I don't know how to pray. So I said, you know what, Lord, I'm humble myself. I said, God, teach me how to pray. And I kept crying out. And I kept crying out. Give me the understanding of prayer. Give me the knowledge of prayer. Give me the wisdom of prayer. Next thing you know, I started understanding things. Just, I started seeing it, and then I started doing it. So if we need knowledge, cry after it. Especially wisdom. It talks about it in James. It says, you have not because you ask not. You got to lift your voice up for that wisdom, and God will give it to you. That's another thing. We think that God sometimes is like, we're like this little kid in the corner, and we come out every now and then and get a little snack from the kitchen, and then we got to go back to our room again. No. God wants to bless us with wisdom. He wants to bless us with understanding and knowledge. He wants us to be the best that we can be for him. But we've got to cry out. And then another thing tool that the Lord gave us, a mighty tool, is this word of God right here. If not one of the most powerful tools is this one right here. And I'll even say this for, to the, for the youth. See, I, 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 learned a, I learned a little bit of how this book even came to be. When it was back in the apostles' days, they didn't have this book like this is right here. They had only a few letters in one church or a few letters here or a few letters here. It wasn't all put together in one book. And even then, it, it took a lot. People even lost their life for this book even to be printed on paper and to be dispersed. People lost their lives. They were martyred just so we could have this book in print, so we could have the words of God on the page right here. And even more so, God moved on people to translate in different languages that other people may read it in their own language. So a whole lot went into getting this book right here. It wasn't just going to a bookstore and buying it. No, people lost their lives for us to have this. And with that, it says in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. When you go through a situation, you better have this handy. Better have this handy. This is a GPS for your soul right here. A GPS for your soul. Something pops up, look for it. It's in here. Search for it. Find it. You may not like what you find. If, if your enemy's coming against you, you got to pray for him. You're like, oh, got to pray for my enemy. They're tearing me up. They're trying to kill me. Pray for him anyway. And watch the Lord get all the glory. I kind of think that's why he put it that way, because none shall glory in the presence of God. No flesh is going to glory in his presence. None at all. He wants all the glory, and he should have all the glory. And then, lastly, the last tool that the Lord gave us is everyone in this room right now, the body of Christ. We're all members of this one body. Some are the hands, some are the feet, some are different parts, but we're all members. And so you can't just cut off your hand here and then try to use this arm and act like you're going to grab something because you cut your hand off. And so I use that as a natural analogy to say you, you can't cut other people off in this body of Christ. If someone does you wrong, just go forgive them. Go reconcile each other and do that. You need that hand. You need the hand. You need that part of the body. You need it. And we need each and every one in this room, and even those that aren't here today. But sometimes the body may get a little dysfunctional. It's all right. Keep praying. The Lord will heal it. He created the body. He'll take care of it. Just got to keep going forward. As it says in Romans 12, 4, it says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So this is another thing. There's different offices and different giftings that God will give someone to do a, a certain work or a certain, a certain position. And then he says, So we, being many, are in one body in Christ, and every one members of one another. 
And so also it says, having the gifts, deferring according to the grace that is given unto us, whether prophesy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching. So basically he's saying, whatever God gave you that gift to do, God, use it. Use it unto the, the furthering of his kingdom. Use it to help somebody because someone will have another gift that you don't have and you lack, and then they'll fill in your gap. And so we all go loving one another, helping one another in this area, help you in that area. So we all need each other. And then, as we can all stand and come into a close, one of the most, one of the most powerful things that we have, young people and youth and everyone, is prayer. Prayer connects us to God. Prayer connects us to God. Worship does as well, but prayer just connects us to God. Then he said this. He said, my house shall be a house of prayer. House of prayer. And I'll say this, youth, your body is a temple of God. It should be a house of prayer. Memorial unto the Lord. So I felt led of the Lord to do this. If all the youth can come forward and stay in the front here, and I want the elders to pray for the youth. And here's the thing. These or I say elders in this. If you've been in this thing for a while, because you have hours and years of prayer, you have years of dedication unto the Lord, that you can lay your hand on one of these young people, and you can transmit some things. You can pray some certain things. You've conquered some things they may not have conquered, and you can pray or pray for them. So as Sister Melanie begins to pray, if we can just come forward and lay hands on the youth as you feel led, if we all can, just saying elders is those that have some time in the Lord. Those that have just dedication unto God. Amen. Oh, Lord Jesus, I ask you to use this youth, Lord God Almighty, that you move upon them, oh, Lord. There's a lot they have to face, oh, God, but they've got the power to face it. They've got what they need to overcome. I ask you to help them to learn, oh, Lord, and understand what they have and how to use what they have so that they, too, can overcome and be overcomers. When that trumpet should sound, that they go up, oh, in Jesus' name, in the clouds with you, and go off into glory. Oh, Lord, yes, bless them, oh, God, understanding, revelation, knowledge, and wisdom of the word of God. Have, let them have a desire for the word of God, a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh, let these souls that are praying for oh, God, transmit exactly what they need to receive, oh, Lord. Oh, in Jesus' name, in their situation right here, amen, where they are. Help and lead him and guide him.